I am tickled to see you this morning. The book of Genesis chapter number 3. Verse number 6. The Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now watch this. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst them, amongst the trees of the garden. Father, help me be a blessing and a help to your people, Lord. Lord, I I know that I can't, but you can. Lord, I'm just standing here to allow you. I pray, Lord, that you'd help me this morning speak to your people for just a few minutes on what you gave me. In your son's name we pray. Amen. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. I I don't think I have to tell you what's happened here in this story. You're very familiar with what's happening here. This is what we call, matter of fact, in my Bible, it, it, the, the subtitle of chapter 3 is the fall of man. This is what we know as the fall of man. This is when Satan tempted Eve and sin and enter, entered into the world. But ladies and gentlemen, may I tell you this morning that this is the very first time in the entire Bible that you ever find humanity turning their back on God. Now that's been some 6,000 years ago that this took place, preacher. But ever since then, for all these years and all these millenniums and all these generations, mankind is still in the habit of turning their back on God. You realize that we find out in our text (coughs) that an individual can turn their back on God. You realize also that not only can an individual turn their back on God... But may I say to you this morning that an entire family can turn their back on God. You remember it was Elimelech and Naomi. They had two sons, Malon and Chilion, and they left Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab. They went to the world because Moab's a picture of the world. And you realize that only one of those four ever made it back to the place of God because they turned their back on God and they went the way of the world. May I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that gives me the idea that if you leave God, you've only got a 25% chance of ever coming back. you got odds one out of four of making it back. You realize that not only can a family turn their back on God, but you realize that an entire nation... An entire country, an entire society of people can turn their back on God. And if you don't believe that, just study the history of the nation of Israel. Every time they turned their back on God, they had to pay for it. And may I say to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly why America is in the shape that she's in today. It's because we've turned our back on God. I think in the last several years... We could all testify that we've seen this thing of turning people turning their back on God taking place more and more frequently in our society, in our churches, and hey, maybe even in our own family. Now more than ever, people literally turning away 
and walking away from God. Now look, I can't stop you from doing that, ladies and gentlemen. I can't stop you from messing your life up and turning your back on God. All I can do is warn you and tell you what the Bible says is going to happen to you when you leave God. All I can do is tell you what's going to happen when you turn your back on God. That's what I want to preach on this morning. I want to preach on the consequences of turning your back on God. You know, it's always been amazing to me, and if you've never traveled in ministry and in evangelism, you you, you probably won't appreciate what I'm getting ready to say. But it always, (coughs) excuse me, it's always been amazing to me how you go back to a church every year to sing or to preach and you find faces missing. I mean, you find yourself asking about people that you met, people that you enjoyed meeting, people that you, that, that you had a relationship with, people that, 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 that were a, a friend to you in some manner of the word. And you have to go to the preacher and say, well, where's so-and-so for that man to have to shake his head and say, well, they've quit the church. And you say, oh, oh, they're going someplace else. He says, no, no, they're not going anywhere. They've quit on God. They've laid down. They've threw in the towel. And man, they're messed up and they're laying drunk or they're on dope. Their home's in a mess. Uh, they, they don't even have, their family's not even together. All because they decided to turn their back on God. I'm talking about good people. I'm talking about people who were faithful, people who were dedicated, people who held an office in the church and they were respected, Benny, and now they're gone. They're not even involved in the things of God anymore. They're gone. Paul called it the great falling away. But I've never seen it in all my life as bad as it's been the last couple years. People just quitting, just walking away. And hey, look up in here. You might just be the next one. You might be on the verge of quitting. You might be on the verge of getting out or throwing in the towel or or whatever you want to call it. But I just want to warn you, dear friend, there's some consequences of quitting on God. There's some repercussions from walking away from God. There's going to be a penalty that you're going to pay (coughs) for turning your back on God. Let me say just a few things real quickly by way of introduction. Excuse me just in case you decide that you're going to turn your back on God. First of all, let me say, you'll never be what God wanted you to be if you turn your back on God. You'll always go through life, preacher, wondering what life could have been if you hadn't left God. Hey, you better nail it down right now, ladies and gentlemen. You better nail it down right now that you're going to keep God first in your life. Hey, you let friends come and go. You let relationships come and go. You keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Hey, I don't want to be 75 years old and sitting around somewhere wondering what I could have been for God. I want to be all that I can be. I've never been sorry that I gave Jesus the best years of my life. And if I had it to do all over again... You better believe I'd do it all over again. Say amen right there. You'll never be what you could have been. Second of all, let me say that if you turn your back on God, you'll regret the mistakes you make while you're gone. I think about the prodigal son. He lost three things when he left home, preacher, and he never got them back. He never got them back. Oh, thank God for a second chance. 
Thank God you can come back. Thank God you can get it right. Amen. Hey, if God wasn't a God of second chances, this building would be very, very empty this morning. Thank God that you can come back and you can get it right. But may I say to you, when you come back, there's some things that you're going to lose while you're gone that you'll never get back, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, this is the part nobody wants to preach on, preacher. That boy lost his innocence in the hog pen. The Bible says he wasted it all on harlots, is what your Bible said, and he never got it back. The Bible says, <coughs> excuse me, he lost his inheritance while he was at the hog pen, and he never got it back. He lost his influence while he was in the hog pen, and he never got it back. How do we know that? Because his older brother never had anything else to do with him. His brother never had confidence in him again. So don't just think that you can quit on God and walk away and then come back and you won't have to pay for it and you won't have to lose some things while you're away from God. Ladies and gentlemen, there's some ground that you're going to lose while you're in the hog pen of the world that you'll never get back. Now you might not care about that now, but what about 10 years from now? What about 15 years from now? What about 20 years from now? When you're sitting alone somewhere and you're thinking, my God, why didn't I just stay with God? What I'd give if I could just go back and not turn my back on God. Not only will you never be what you could have been, not only will you regret the mistakes you made while you're away, but quickly, third of all, if you turn your back on God... You'll probably cause somebody else to do the same thing. The Bible teaches that we don't live to ourselves and we don't die to ourselves. Even Peter, now think about this. Even Peter, (coughs) excuse me, after the crucifixion of Jesus, when he said, I go fishing, preacher, the other disciples fell in line and they climbed in the boat and went with him. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a power of influence over some of the people in our lives, some of the people that we know and that we love. I'll tell you why I don't want you to turn your back on God. I'll tell you why I don't want you to quit. It's because you're going to cause somebody else to do the same thing that you're doing. You say, I don't believe that. Oh, yeah? What are you going to do with the story of Achan? What are you going to do with Achan? He didn't realize, Benny, when he picked up that Babylonian garment and that wedge of gold and he went and he hid it in his tent. He didn't realize when he did that that when Joshua found out, not only were they going to stone him, they were going to stone his wife and they were going to stone his children. And his wife didn't do anything, by the way. His children didn't do anything, by the way. And I just wonder... When they were throwing the stones to kill him, did his children cry out, Oh my God, what did I do? What did I do? They didn't do anything, Becky. It was what Daddy did. And I'm just going to tell you this, Mama. I'm just going to tell you this, Daddy. Before you turn your back on God, before you walk away, before you throw in the towel, you better take a good look at your family. Because when you leave, you're going to take them with you. I don't want you to turn your back on God because you'll always take somebody with you. You want to turn your back on God? Go ahead. I can't stop you. There's nothing I can do to stop you. But I have an obligation, ladies and gentlemen, 
to warn you of what's going to happen to you when you do. I want to show you very quickly a couple people from the Bible who turned their back on God. I'm talking about people who walked away. I'm talking about people who quit. I'm talking about people who laid down on God and they closed out the last chapter of their life, preacher, in failure. I'm talking about people who had a good testimony. I'm talking about people that God had used at one time. And they ended their life, Benny, in failure. Let me give them to you real quickly. Number one, are you going to turn your back on God this morning, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to being delivered? Delivered from what, preacher? I'm talking about being delivered from your sin is what I'm talking about this morning. Can I ask you a question, sir? Can I ask you a question, ma'am? Has God ever dealt, dealt with you about being saved? Let me give you something to think about. I can't get over this. I can't get over Matthew 27. I can't get over how a man named Judas followed Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. For three and a half years. He watched him walk on water. He watched him make the blind to see. The deaf to hear. The lame to walk. I mean, he saw him raise the dead back to life again. He saw him take five loaves of bread and two small fish, and he saw him feed the multitude with that. He saw all that. He saw Jesus raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. He saw people that were lame for their entire life get up and start walking around like nothing had ever been wrong with them. But in Matthew 27, the Bible reveals to us that despite all of that, Judas wasn't even saved. Judas was lost. Have you ever thought about this? I just wonder, preacher, if during those three and a half years of following Jesus, how many times the Holy Ghost must have dealt with Judas about being saved. Don't forget now, he walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He slept under the same roof with Jesus. I just wonder how many times he heard Jesus preach. Excuse me. And the Holy Ghost said, Judas, you need to get saved. I don't care if you're a preacher. I don't care if you're the treasurer. I don't care if you're an apostle. You've never been saved, Judas. I wonder, preacher, how many nights they went to bed. And the Holy Ghost woke Judas up in the middle of the night. And he looked over and saw the Son of God laying there asleep. And the Holy Ghost said, Judas, why don't you wake him up and go tell him you're not saved? Judas, why don't you go tell Jesus? That you've never been saved. What about this? The Bible says that Jesus didn't baptize anybody except for his disciples. Isn't that what your Bible says? Jesus baptized not, but his disciples. I often wonder, you reckon when Jesus grabbed Judas to put him up under the water, if the Holy Ghost didn't smite Judas's heart and say, Judas, tell him to quit. Judas, tell him to stop. Tell him you're not really saved. Tell him you're not really born again. Judas, don't get started in religion. You're getting ready to make a mistake. Judas, you need to make sure you're saved. But because of pride, because of embarrassment, because of acquaintances, or whatever stupid reason, Judas allowed Jesus to baptize him. But in his heart, he knew he was lost. But in Matthew 27... Judas had turned his back on God so many times that he sold Jesus for for 30 pieces of silver. He betrayed the Son of God. And when he got the silver, listen to this now, when he got the silver, 
He took it back to the temple. He threw it down on the temple floor. And the priest said, what, what does that have to do with us? And the Bible says that he went out and he hung himself. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> according to the book of Acts, Judas hung from that rope so long that finally the rope broke preacher and his body hit the rocks and his guts busted out is what the book of Acts chapter number 1 says. If you don't believe me, go home and read it. But long before his guts ever busted out, he was burning in hell in the wrath of God. Why? Because he turned his back on God. He'd never been delivered from his sin. Hey, look up in here. If you're here and you've never been saved, it might have been a long time since God's dealt with you about your lost situation. Hey, you've turned your back on God so many times, you go months at a time now. And God doesn't even bother you about your situation. But boy, you remember when God used to trouble you all the time. He used to remind you all the time, constantly, about your situation. About how you were lost. About how you needed a Savior. But every time you turn your back on God, ladies and gentlemen, the voice of God's going to get softer and softer and softer. But here's the scary part, ma'am. There's going to come a time when you turn your back on God for the last time. And your window of opportunity is going to be closed and you'll never hear the voice of God speak to you again. We call it sitting away your day of grace. We call it blaspheming the Holy Ghost. We call it missing your window of opportunity. And when God stops, ladies and gentlemen, when God no longer speaks to you, there's not a preacher, there's not a church, there's not a prayer that you can pray that'll keep you out of hell, ladies and gentlemen. If you sit away your day of grace, if you miss your opportunity to be saved, you might as well mark her down. You'll go to hell in your sin. Because you turned your back on God, didn't you? See, it takes a visitation from another world. We don't believe in easy believism. We don't believe in shake my hand and pray this prayer and one, two, three, you're saved. We don't believe in that. That's trash. That's heresy. That's not in the Bible. We believe that it's an overshadowing of the Holy Ghost. We believe that it's a visitation from another world. And I just say to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, if out of seven billion people... I'm talking about not 7,000. I'm not talking about 700,000. I'm not even talking about 7 million. I'm talking out of 7 billion people that live on planet earth. If God was to trouble you about your situation that you're in, about being lost, you'd be a fool not to get in. You'd be a fool to turn your back on God. You'd be a fool to stay lost. So what are you going to do? You going to turn your back on God again, honey? Are you going to walk away and say, <coughs> I'll do it some other time? I'll do it Sunday at church? Look how many times the devil's told you to put it off and you put it off. Look how many times that you've let the devil put you to sleep. I tell you what I'd do. If I was lost preacher, I wouldn't care who was looking. If the... If the President of the United States was sitting on the front row, I wouldn't give a good flip. If I was lost, I tell you what I'd do. If God troubled me about my situation, if God showed me I was lost, you couldn't keep me out of this altar because I'm not going to hell for anybody. But you're not going to do that, are you? No. You're going to turn your back on God again, aren't you? Yeah, you're going to turn your back on God again. 
But I say to you, there's danger. There's consequences. There's repercussions. And they're for all of eternity. If you turn your back on God when it comes to being delivered from your sin. Number two, have you turned your back on God? Let me lose the rest of you right here. Have you turned your back on God, number two, when it comes to being dedicated? You remember (coughs) 2 Timothy 4, a young man named Demas from Thessalonica. He had such a wonderful starting point in his Christian life. If you know anything about the Bible, you know Thessalonica was a city of Gentiles and they were known for their paganism. They were known for their loose, low, nasty, lewd morals. I mean, I'm talking about immorality. I'm talking about perverse sexuality. I mean, they were known for a corrupt government and lying politicians and sorry preachers. Sounds like America tonight or this morning, ladies and gentlemen, just to be perfectly honest with you. And Demas is wrapped up in all that mess, man. And Paul came through and he preached and he preached against their pagan gods and he tore them down and he told them either to repent or they was going to go to hell. And this young man named Demas, he got fired up and he got saved, man. And when Paul started to leave Thessalonica, Demas said, I don't want to live here anymore. Hey, you get saved, you want to get out of a mess. Say amen right there. Demas said, Paul, I don't want to live in this mess. He said, man, this place is corrupt and this is the place that messed my life up. And Paul, I don't want to live here anymore. I mean, I I want to live for God. I want to be straight. I want to live clean. I want to do what's right. So he packs up. Watch this. He packs up and he leaves with Paul and goes out to be a help and to be a support with Paul. But in 2 Timothy, Paul's on his last leg of the journey. He's getting ready to die, preacher. He's getting ready to lose his head in Rome on Nero's chopping block. And while Paul's sitting in jail, getting ready to get his head cut off, preacher, he gets word that Demas has quit. He finds out that Demas has walked away from God. And here's what he said. Here's what he said. Are you listening? And Demas has forsaken me. Why did he forsake you, Paul? This is what Paul said. Having loved this present evil world and went back to Thessalonica. Hey, how many times have you seen people that used to be dedicated? I mean, man, they were on fire and we watch them slowly but surely burn out and they turn their back on God. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Now, let me just tell you what I've seen. People come in and they're excited. And man, they want to join the church. But some of them preachers, they just, it just seems like they don't ever get plugged in. Yeah. It, it, it just seems like they're, they're just not connected to the heart of the church. You know what I'm talking about? Am I losing you? Man, they come in and, and, they're, and man, they're on fire for a while. And, and, and you think, man, if anybody's going to make it, they're going to make it. But there's just, they just don't get connected to the heart of the church, preacher. And I'll tell you what I've seen. For the most part, if they don't get connected to the heart of that church within six months, they'll be gone and you won't be able to find them with the FBI, the CIA, or a CNI dog. They'll be gone. You'll never see them again. But here's the problem. Let me just tell you what Naomi said in the book of Ruth. Let me just tell you what Naomi's testimony was about getting out of the will of God. She left Bethlehem. 
Now Bethlehem means the house of God. It means the place of bread. She left Bethlehem and she went to Moab, which is a picture of the world. She shipwrecked her life. She ruined her life. She lost her testimony. I mean, man, she lost her husband. She lost her two sons. Her world has fell apart. (coughs) Excuse me, because she went the way of the world. Is everybody listening? And this is what Naomi said when she came back. I went out full. But I came back empty. Hey, thank God she came back. Thank God she came back. But when she came back, she came back empty. There was something missing. Something wasn't right. Something wasn't the same. Hey, it's not just throwing in the towel, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just walking away. If you belong to God and you belong in the house of God and you back up and you turn around and you say, I'm leaving, I'm going to quit. Hey, can I just tell you this morning that God's got your number. He's got your address. He knows where you live. He knows where to find you. And He's going to make you pay in ways that you never imagined. You remember it was Lot who turned his back on God and went to Sodom and Gomorrah. But little did he know the price he was fixing to pay. Some of his family and friends, preacher, they burned up in the ashes of Sodom. His own wife turned into a pillar of salt. And then in a drunken stupor, because he turned his back on God, in a cave on the backside of nowhere, in the back on in the cave on the backside of nowhere, excuse me, in a drunken stupor, stoned out of his mind, Philip McMahon, He committed incest with his two daughters. Why, preacher? Because he turned his back on God. Oh, some of us are sitting here this morning and we used to love God. We used to be on fire. We used to be committed. We used to be dedicated. We used to be in the center of God's will for our lives. But somewhere along the way you quit on God, didn't you? Look at you now. What's happened to you? What's wrong with you? I mean, man, you used to be on fire. You used to be on the front line. And you've walked away. But you say, oh, preacher, I'm not all the way out. No, the problem's not that you're not all the way out. The problem is you're not all the way in. I said your problem isn't that you're all the way out. Your problem is you're not all the way in. Say amen right there. Somewhere along the way you quit. You drop the ball. But can I tell you that if you're not all the way in, it'll only be a matter of time and you'll be all the way out. It's only a matter of time and we'll never see you again. And I'm so sorry. I love you. But that's just reality. I heard a preacher say it like this. And I got to move on. He said it like this the other day, preacher, and I liked it. He said there's only three times that most people want anything to do with the church, preacher. The first time that, somebody, that, that people want something to do with the church is when they match, when they're getting married. They expect the church to be a wedding chapel. Now, they don't come to church faithful. They're not members. They don't tithe. They wouldn't give a dime to see an aunt eat a bell of hay. Everybody okay? Are y'all checking out on me already? I still got one more point to go. Y'all going to have to stay with me. But they're getting married. (laughs) 
And because their great-grandmother went here a hundred years ago, we're supposed to take care of them and get a married preacher. But by the way, after you perform the ceremony, you won't ever see them again. Get a good look at them. As soon as they swap slobber and they exchange wedding rings, hey, we're laughing about it, but it's the truth. As soon as they swap slobber and they trade wedding rings and they walk across to the fellowship hall and they eat a piece of cake, you'll never see them again. I mean, you're smiling, but you know I'm telling you the truth. Hey, you know it's right. Hey, some of your family's probably done it. Some of you are looking pale. Maybe you've done it. They, they want the church when they match. He said, second of all, not only do they want the church when they match, but then when they hatch, they come back to church. Uh, y'all are laughing, but this is the God's truth. They come back to church because she's pregnant. And because they're, they come back to church, now all of a sudden we've got to give them a baby shower. Now get a good look at them while you're having the baby shower and take lots of pictures because it's the last time you're ever going to see him again. <coughs> and, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and if you don't have a baby shower for them, their big mouth grandma is going to get bit out of shape and you're going to have to fight hell by the acre all because you don't give this pregnant woman that you don't even know a baby shower. So when they match, they come. When they hatch, they come. And when they dispatch, they come. They, they want to do their funeral at the church. I mean, I, I, we're, we're all grinning about it and smiling about it, but am I not telling you the truth? They never came when they were alive. Uh, but when, all, when they die, all of a sudden it's our problem. All of a sudden when they die, it's on us to give them a funeral. Can I ask you a question, sir? If you didn't care nothing about this church while you were alive, why in the name of God would I drag your sorry carcass down an aisle and say a few words over you? I've got too much respect for you to do that. I mean, my God, you didn't care nothing about this place when you were alive. Why would I bring you down here for your funeral? I've got too much respect for you to do that to you, ladies and gentlemen. Well, anyhow, everybody's mad. I've got to move on. Hey, you can do what you want to. You can be inconsistent if you want to. You can be half in and half out if you want to. But I tell you, brother, when I got saved, I got dedicated. I got consistent. I gave my life to God, and I've never been sorry. It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful living my life for Jesus. But I've watched a whole lot of people, preacher. People that I loved. People that were my friends. I watched so many of them turn their back on God, walk away, and quit on God. But here's the sad part, and I've got to move on. I watched these people walk away, Philip McMahon, only to watch God dump out his chastisement and his judgment, and they had to pay for it in ways that they never imagined. Now, I've never wanted that on my life. I've never wanted that on my family's life. I say to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, don't turn your back on God when it comes to being dedicated. Let me ask you a question. Has God been dealing with you about being dedicated like you used to be? 
Hey, there's no time like the present. Today would be a wonderful time to do what we call rededication. The prefix re means to do over again. Hey, there was a time when you'd run to this altar and you'd cry and you were the first one to come and you were the last one to get up and your heart was tender and you were in tune with God and you wanted everything that God wanted for your life. But look at you now. You don't even bring a Bible. You hardly ever come to church. You hardly ever get in the altar. i tell you what I'd do. I'd tell the devil to go back to hell. I'd tell him to get his hands off of my life and I'd repent is what I'd do. You've turned your back on God, haven't you, ma'am? You've turned your back on God when it comes to being dedicated. Number three, and I'm finished. (coughs) Excuse me. Have you turned your back on God when it comes to a divine calling? I'm talking about a divine calling that God's given you. Remember it was Jonah. He ran from God and he ended up in the belly of the whale. It was Saul who God chose to be the first king of Israel and he was going to be head and shoulders above everybody else and he ruined his life and he committed suicide on the battlefield, Benny. You remember it was Samson whose life was ordained before he was ever born that he was going to be a Nazarite and he was going to be holy and he was going to be acceptable and he was going to be a servant of the Lord. But he's not known for being a Nazarite. He's known for the disgraceful way that he died. I hear people preach on Samson all the time, preacher, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Every time I hear somebody preach on Samson, they always preach on how he closed out his life in a mess and he killed himself. He committed suicide along with 3,000 Philistines. Nobody ever talks about how he went went out and he caught 300, think about this, 300 foxes. Went out and caught 300 foxes. And tied them up two by two and burned up the crops of all the Philistines. And nobody ever talks about when he took the jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand Philistines with it. I mean, I'm talking about the jawbone of a donkey. A thousand Philistines. And then the Bible says he stacked them up like stove wood, like it wasn't nothing. Nobody ever talks about that. You don't ever hear people preach on that. Nobody ever talks about when there was a bunch of men and Samson was laid up with a harlot. And nobody ever talks about the time that he was laid up with a harlot and there was a group of men outside of where he was at and they said they wasn't going to eat and they wasn't going to drink until that Samson was dead. And you know the story, Samson got up in the middle of the night and he picked up the gate of the city. I'm talking about a solid wood, solid steel, solid stone gate to the city and he picked it up and carried it to the top of a mountain. And all of a sudden those men who wanted him dead... All of a sudden they decided they felt led of the Holy Ghost to go home and leave Samson alone that night. Amen? Nobody ever talks about the time that Samson took a lion and killed it with his bare hands. The Bible says that he ripped the lion in half, preacher, and he threw it on the ground like it wasn't nothing. You don't hear people preach about that. Why, preacher? It's because people don't care what you do with your life. The only thing that they're going to remember is that you quit. That you messed up. That you dropped the ball. Wouldn't it be sad, excuse me. Wouldn't it be sad to close out the last chapter of your life as a dropout? Wouldn't it be sad to be remembered as a quitter? Wouldn't it be sad that your children and your grandchildren and your family and your friends remember you as a wimp? as a quitter, 
as somebody who wouldn't go all the way with God. Let me give you something to think about. This is what's so sad about being a quitter, and I've got to close. You remember 1 Kings 13? Don't turn there. Just go home and read your Bible. Amen? God sent a young prophet down to Bethel. Jeroboam was the king. He was a wicked king. And he was so wicked, he even got into doing the office of the priest, which God never, God never intended for him to do. He was in open, gross sin. And so uh, he sends the young prophet down there. He, he, he said, go preach against the idol worship. Go down there and preach against the sin. Don't stop. Don't eat. Don't drink. Come home. And he called him for a divine purpose. Now, is everybody listening? He said, you go down there and preach. You come home. I've gave you specific, specific instructions. Don't vary from your divine purpose, from your divine calling. He said, preach and go home. But if you've ever read the story, you realize that he got sidetracked. He got manipulated. An old prophet who had already failed God distracted him and manipulated him and told him he had a divine revelation from God that God had sent him another message and that it was okay to come and sit and eat and have fellowship in direct disobedience to what God had already said, by the way. And the Bible said when he left the old prophet's house, a lion met him on the road and killed him is what the Bible says. But here's the sad part. Is everybody listening? We don't even know that young prophet's name. Nowhere in Scripture do you ever find his name. All we know is he forsook his calling. Everybody okay? All we know is that he disobeyed God. We don't even know his name. We don't know what good he done. But what we know is he allowed something. He allowed somebody to distract him. He allowed something to manipulate him and get him away from his divine calling. And we don't even know his name. And because he turned his back on God, excuse me, God had to call another prophet preacher. Think about this. God had to call another prophet And the next prophet God called was a man named Elijah. Anybody heard him? And because that young prophet, who we don't even know his name, because he disobeyed God, because he sat down, because he quit, because he turned his back on God, he never truly fulfilled his divine calling. Now no doubt I believe God wanted to use him. God called him. God had a purpose for him. God had gave him specific instructions. I believe God had a calling and a purpose for his life. But he turned his back on God, Doretta. He quit on God. He got lazy. He got distracted. He got manipulated. And because he turned his back on God, God called Elijah to be the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. Now look. I know the Bible says that the callings of God are without repentance. I know that. I'm not stupid. I know God don't take it back when He calls you to do something. But I know a whole lot of people, preacher, who turned their back on God to a point that God had to put them on a shelf. Because they disobeyed God, they turned their back on God to the point that God didn't disqualify them, but they disqualified themselves. Is everybody listening? They put themselves in a situation where they had no influence. They had no effect. And God couldn't use them. 
as he originally intended to use them. Didn't mean they wasn't saved. Didn't mean they didn't get a second chance, preacher. No, sir. It just means that they, they were never everything that they could have been because they got disqualified themselves. And God had to put them on a shelf. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying God has a divine purpose for your life, ma'am. God has a divine calling on your life, sir. And let me just tell you what I believe. Let me just tell you what I believe God will do. I believe God will let somebody else do what you could have done. I believe... that if you don't answer the call of God on your life and you disqualify yourself and you turn your back on God in such a fashion, I believe God will call somebody else that will do what you wouldn't do and obey like you wouldn't obey and put you aside and put you on a shelf and you'll miss the opportunity to do something great for God and you'll miss the opportunity to have a wonderful ministry. Why, preacher? Because you turned your back on God is why. You turned your back on God and you decided to quit and you decided to turn your back and walk away and he gave it to somebody else. Now I don't know about you but I don't want to get to heaven and God have to show me around heaven and show me all the things that I could have had. All the places I could have went. All the people I could have reached. Hey, I want to go all the places he wants me to go. I want to reach all the people that He wants me to reach. And so that's why I'm determined. I'm not going to turn my back on God. But some of us are. Some of us are going to forfeit going places with God that we never imagined. Because we've turned our back on God. We've got lazy. We've got careless. I said it the other day. You know what will kill a church faster than anything? Carelessness. Indifference, laziness will kill this place deader than four o'clock in the morning. I promise you, you get lazy, you get careless. This ministry on the side of the road will is headed for disaster. It's headed for doom. It's headed for failure. All because you wanted to turn your back on God. You're going to turn your back on God again, aren't you? I just wanted to warn you. I just want to tell you. You go ahead. But there's going to be some consequences. There's going to be some repercussions like you never even imagined. God knows how to get your attention, sir. God knows how to hit you where you live, ma'am. You fooling around, playing around, won't get dedicated, won't get all the way in. God's got your number, sir. And he's fixing to call it. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes are closed. I'm finished. I'm talking about turning your back on God. Can I ask you a question? Where are you at? Where's your life at? Here's the invitation and I'm finished. Is everybody listening? Man, I'd hate to quit on God now, preacher. He's been so good. He's been so faithful. I'd hate for people to say, Oh, you know old brother Chris, he kind of messed up there at the end. You wouldn't want to hear that about me, and I sure don't want to hear that about you. So I want to ask you a question. Are you going to turn your back on God again this morning? Maybe you're here, and you know you've never been saved. Are you listening to me? I'm begging you, don't turn your back on God. This might be the last opportunity that you have this morning, ladies and gentlemen. 
Are you really saved? I wouldn't go to hell for anybody, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, I'll, let me tell you something about God. God loves you so much that He'd rather die than see you go to hell. And that's exactly what He did 2,000 years on the old rugged cross. <coughs> Maybe you're here and you're saved, but you're not as dedicated as you used to be. You're, you're not fired up. You're not excited. Maybe you just need to come and renew your commitment to Jesus. Maybe you just need to come and rededicate your life. Hey, maybe you need to get around this preacher this morning and say, Preacher, we just want you to know that I'm on your side. I, 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 and maybe you need to just come and tell the Lord that, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Lord, I don't want to turn my back. Lord, I want to do everything. that you'd have me to do. You wonder why your life's in a mess. You wonder why your home's falling apart. You wonder why your home's getting ready to break up. Could it be that you've turned your back on God? Can I tell you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, if God's not Lord of all, He won't be Lord at all. Have you turned your back on God this morning, honey? Are you so out of touch and so out of tune with God that you don't even know when He's dealing with you anymore. Oh, you're treading on dangerous ground, friend. You're treading on dangerous ground, lady. You're you're playing with fire, ma'am. I tell you, if God dealt with my heart about being saved, or if He deals with your heart about being dedicated and being more than you've ever been and getting closer than you've ever been, you'd be a fool not to respond. You'd be stupid to sit in your seat because God's dealing with you, ladies and gentlemen, and He has no obligation to deal with you more than once. This might be your last opportunity. So what are you going to do? You're going to turn your back on God? You're going to walk away? You're going to quit? It's it's not time to get out, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to get in. Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing around these altars this morning. Lord God, I pray whatever the need is, whatever the situation is, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd grant it. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for this little thought you gave me. Lord, I pray that you'd move and you'd work in in the way that only you can in these next few moments. And Lord, we love you. Lord, help us not to turn our back. Lord, help us not to be wimps and weak. Help us not to be quitters. Lord, help us to stick with the stuff. Lord, help us to endure to the end. Lord, help us to stay with You and not turn our back. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. You stay as long as you need to. You stay as long as you need to. There's too many people turning their back, preacher. They're not getting in. They're getting out. It's not. Hey, Jesus is getting ready to come. Now's not the time to get out, ladies and gentlemen. Now's the time to get in. Let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you hate to know that you had to stand before God ashamed because you wouldn't get all the way in and you were half in and you were half out and you were inconsistent and you were lukewarm? Wouldn't you hate to stand before God ashamed for that mess? Now, I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you, preacher. God knows I've got enough to stand for on my own. I, it, now's not the time to get out. I don't want to have to stand before God ashamed because I quit. I don't want to have to stand before God and weep because I was inconsistent. 
I don't want to have to give an answer to God because I got out and I took somebody with me, preacher. God knows I don't want to have to stand before God with that on me. Hey, I got enough to stand before God with on my own. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to get committed? Are you going to get dedicated? Are you going to turn your back on God? It's not quitting time, ladies and gentlemen. It's not quitting now more than ever. You remember the book of Jude. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus and he was writing about the last days. And he said, I wanted to write to you about the common salvation. But I had to write to you and tell you to contend for the faith. He said, I had to write to you to remind you to hang in there. I had to write to you and tell you you need to stick with the stuff. I had to write to you and tell you that you don't need to quit, that you don't need to blow out. So what that tells me, preacher, before Jesus comes back, there's going to be a whole lot of people blow out. There's going to be a whole lot of people quit. But here's the thing. I've always believed that when God turns the pressure up on the church, you see who's real and you see who's fake. I think about, we gave the illustration some time ago about recap tires. You know why recaps blow out? It's because they can't take the heat. They can't take the pressure. I say maybe sometimes people blow out a church preacher because they can't take the heat. They can't take, they can't take the pressure. They're, 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 not, they're not attached to the heart of the tire. So what are we going to do? Are we going to quit on God? Or are we going to stick with the stuff? I'm done. God bless you. Thank you. You're going to dismiss, do whatever you want to do.